Thank you for listening to the podcast of Bible Baptist Church. Please visit our website at www.southbaybbc.org for more information. Take your Bibles with me turn to Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9. Always a privilege to preach God's word, and, and uh, I'm excited to be here tonight and asking the Lord to give me many years of preaching in Los Angeles. For the preaching of crosses to them that perish foolishness, but unto them that believe is the power of God <laughs> unto salvation. And uh, preaching, you know, that's going to be the, the cornerstone of, of the New Heights Baptist Church in Inglewood. So we're excited to do it. We'll start reading in verses 30. Uh, we'll start reading verse 35, but our text tonight will be verses 36 through 38. You can remain seated. We'll read together. The Bible says, And Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them, because they fainted. And were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then saith he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore, the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. I want to bring you a message tonight uh, looking at our Savior and his heart for the lost. And and I hope tonight that we would all look at our our walk with the Lord and and, uh, and ask him to, to work in us from this example. Let's pray. We'll get right into it. Father, I thank you for Bible Baptist Church. Thank you for Pastor Troy. Thank you for the members here. Thank you for what you've done uh, over the last 20 plus years. And I just pray you continue to bless, Lord, as they're stepping out in faith once again to support more missionaries. And I I know uh, in this day where many are cutting back on their missions program, uh, that you're pleased with this. And Lord, I just pray that you would uh, work in hearts tonight through your word and May we all be reminded that uh, the harvest truly is plenteous, but you're looking for some laborers. And Lord, I pray tonight that there would be one in here that uh, feels the call of God to get into the harvest uh, full-time, Lord, that you would do that and that you would uh, help them to make that decision. And Lord, we'll thank you for all you do. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. There was no man more busy than our Savior during his earthly ministry. It was but a three and a half mere years, and uh, yet we know that in John's gospel it was written that if all that he did in that three and a half year period were to be written down, there would not be enough books in the world to contain all the miracles, all the wonders, all the works that our Savior performed. Uh, The disciples on many occasions had to just step back and say, what manner of man is this uh, that we're following? And uh, Jesus was very busy. He said, I must work the works of him that sent me. He had a laser point focus when it came to fulfilling the will of the Father, and he was very, very busy. And But I want you to notice as we come uh, to verse number 36, uh, it's, it's sort of an intersection. He had just been preaching around the, 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 the known country. He had been going to every city and every village, and he had been teaching and healing and doing all uh, the wonderful works that he did. But as we come to verse 36, we get a glimpse into his heart. You see that but, and when he saw the multitudes. And we're going to look at him, and we're going to look at our Savior's example tonight, and we're going to see some, some qualities that he possessed uh, when it comes to the loss. I want you to notice, first of all, about our Savior that he saw clearly. He saw clearly. 
Look what the Bible says. But when he saw the multitudes, when he saw the multitudes, and I don't know about you, but sometimes I can go uh, through my life and I can go through crowds of people and I can even be maybe in a store somewhere and I can just walk by dozens and dozens of people and not think twice about it. Christ, he wasn't like that. Christ, as he went about the cities, as he saw people, as he saw people with wealth and affluence, as he saw people who had disease and sickness and and other needs, as he saw the multitudes, it impacted him. He saw people through the lens of eternity. He saw them as someone who would spend eternity in either heaven or hell. May I ask you tonight, uh, is your vision blurred? We can get very busy with our our lives and our families and our social uh, gatherings and and with our agenda. And we can walk by divine appointments. We can walk by people on our neighborhoods. We can can, uh, go through life just with our own focus and not see clearly Christ, the one who knew people to their very core. He knew their best. He knew their worst. But when he saw them, he he was impacted by it. He saw the multitude. May I ask you tonight to see the multitudes of Los Angeles? I can't help but think about how there are, there are city after city in Los Angeles with not one independent Baptist church with over 100,000 people living there, and people are dying and going to hell unwarned. We've got to see clearly. Christ, as he went about, as he went throughout his ministry, he saw people very clearly. In his day, the population of the world was maybe estimated to be about 600 million people In our day, we're approaching 8 billion people on our known world. The vast majority of those people have yet to hear a clear presentation of the gospel. And no, it's not our government's fault. And no, it's not uh, the the age's fault. No, it's not because there's a lack of resources or, or people who can do the work. It's because we're not seeing clearly. We've got to see clearly. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 29, verse 18, where there is no vision, the people perish. My friends, we've got to see like Christ sees. I'll never forget hearing the story about uh, the Costa Concordia cruise ship that was cruising off the coast of the Mediterranean on January 13, 2012. And on this ship, there were over 4,200 passengers, and uh, they were coasting off that, that coast there in the Mediterranean. And, and the captain, uh, his name is Francesco Cetino, he decided that he was going to take a different route and by doing so, by getting off course, uh, the ship had hit some coral reef and it began to take on water very quickly. When this was brought to his attention by the, his, his crew, the captain snuck away from his helm and he got on one of the lifeboats and he, he sailed into town and he checked into a local hotel, never calling the authorities, never going through the normal protocol, never doing his duty as the captain, never fulfilling the work. and Because he did so, uh, uh, it was later discovered that, the, the, of course, the ship was sinking, and when the Coast Guard was, was, was notified of this, uh, this tragedy that was taking place, the Coast Guard commander began to look in the, the cities around, and he called, and he called hotels, and he, he finally he located Captain Francesco, and he began to question him, and he said, tell me if there are women, if there are children in need there, tell me, give me an update on the situation. But, of course, he was on the boat, so he could not give an adequate answer. Finally, he mustered up this response to the Coast Guard commander. He said, you know it's dark out there. You know it's it's dark out there. The The Coast Guard commander had heard enough. He said, get back on board. 
get back on board. But Shatino never went back on board. You see, he was, he was drinking on the job. He was, he was drunk at the helm, and he knew if he went back, he'd sure enough be arrested right there. He never went back, and because the rescue efforts were delayed, because he did not do what he was supposed to do as the captain, you know, there were 32 people that perished that did not have to perish. And may I say, church, I know this is a great church, but sometimes we need to be reminded of why we're here. We're not here on this planet to live a comfortable life. We're not here to have a certain standard of living. Would you agree with me that God is more concerned with the salvation of the lost rather than our standard of living? We're here. We must see the need. We must see clearly our nation, uh, even our city is going to hell in a handbasket, and we've got to see the need, and we've got to do something about it. Jesus, when he saw the multitudes, I want you to see not only did he see them clearly, but I want you to see, secondly, that he cared deeply. His eye affected his heart. The Bible says in verse 36, but when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them. He was moved with compassion on them. This is a deep-rooted emotion that caused him to do something about it. This was a deep-rooted desire that he could not just sit on his lazy boy and not do something about the need before him. He cared about them. Compassion is their hurt in our heart. And today in our churches, we're lacking Christians with a tear in their eye for the loss, with a care in this world. We're, We're all wrapped up in the cares of this world, but while people in our very neighborhood are dying and going to hell, Jesus cared Our Savior was moved with compassion. This was the compassion that we know ultimately would take him up to that hill where he would be crucified. This was the compassion that before the day uh, sun uh, rose up over the coast, he would wake up and pray for us. Uh, This is a compassion that caused him to go to the next city. When one rejected him, he had a compassion that compelled him to do something about it. And may I ask you tonight, do you have that kind of compassion? So look at these men here tonight, one from Georgia, one from West Michigan, and, you know, men from uh, you know, Mexico who are leaving their, their homes, who are leaving what, all that they know to come to a city where it's, it's hard to do the work of God, but they, they are seeing clearly, and they're caring about it. What we need today is more men and women in our churches who will care for the lost, who will have compassion that will cause them to do something. Maybe you heard about Madeline O'Hare. She was a staunch atheist in her day. She was responsible for having the public reading of the Bible taken from our public schools. Uh, she was a very vulgar woman. She was someone who, if you looked, uh, if you had a different viewpoint than she did, she would be very quick to tell you how idiotic she thought you were. And she was sometimes interviewed on public television and live television. She would swear and curse and a very vulgar person, uh, very, uh, you know, not very uh, friendly, to say the least. And she, uh, uh, she was the founder of the American Atheist uh, Association. And, of course, uh, she won that court battle. And uh, Life magazine wrote uh, an article about her during her life. And in that article, it was written that she was the most hated woman in America at that time. We know that she was later tragically murdered for some, some gold coins that were in the safe deposit box of the corporations, um, you know, of that corporation. And, and she, um, the authorities, once they found her dead, they began to search her home and try to get some more information as pertaining to her, her murder. And, and when they went into her home, they found her diaries. 
And inside of her diary, there was a statement that was written over and over and over again. And the statement was this. Will somebody, somewhere, please love me? Will somebody, somewhere, please love me? The Bible says, and if some have compassion, making a difference. See, Madeline O'Hare, what she got rightfully, you know, we know we would stand in a different position than she would, but what she got from, from Christians in her day was hate. She, she got the truth spoken with anger, not the truth spoken in love. She didn't have someone around her with compassion who would love her to Jesus. And my friends, what your neighbor needs is not to have the same political views as you. What your neighbor needs is not for you to argue with them and, and to talk about their children or to complain about them. What they really need from you and I is compassion. That's what's going to bring them to Jesus. Combative Christians, you never, we'll never see fruit. We'll never see fruit that remains. And Jesus was compassionate. Everyone that came in contact with Jesus knew that he loved them. Oh, he touched the lepers. Oh, he talked to women, which was not the norm in that society. Everybody was welcome around Jesus. Oh, many times the, the Pharisees would ask him, why is he talking to these publican and sinners? Why is he dining with them? Oh, but Jesus said, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And what God is looking for in his church is some people who will reach out to those who are are not lovely, who do not have something to offer us, but we need to love them because Jesus loves them. Can we truly say that we love God if we don't love people? We've got to care deeply. I'll never forget knocking on Helen's door. We were uh, getting ready to start the chapel out in Lake Los Angeles where we spent the last two years. and I knocked on the lady's door and she came to the door, and she was, she was very friendly at first, and she began to tell me more about herself, and I witnessed to her, and she didn't get saved, but she, she began to tell me more about her life, and uh, she was very open with her lifestyle. She was living uh, an alternative lifestyle, living with her live-in uh, girlfriend, and she was very vocal about it. I think she thought it was going to scare me away or something. <laughs> but, you know, all it did really was just burden me for and, uh, and by the way, uh, you know, cohabitate, you know, co- heterosexual cohabitators, same thing. Sin is sin to God. Anyhow, uh, I begin to just visit her periodically and, and witness to her. And she began to open up more and more about her, her, her spouse who would never come out to see me. You see, uh, her spouse by the name of Pam was angry at God, I found out. Why? Because she had stage four cancer. She was, it was terminal. It was colon cancer. There was nothing they could do for her. She was angry at God. She didn't want to hear anything about God, let alone talk to a preacher. And so uh, for months, we went by, me and my wife, and we would uh, just talk to Helen. And Helen became a good friend. She came to church one time. I'll never forget when she came to church. Uh, she came in late, and I was preaching. She came in, she sat in, and before I could finish the sermon, she said, hold on, hold on, I got something I need to say right now. Uh, I'll never forget it. <laughs> And she stood up and she said what she had to say. Thankfully, it wasn't anything bad or vulgar or something, but uh, I'll never forget Helen. Still praying for Helen. Sometimes Helen calls me still to this day. But I'll never forget a few months after that, my wife, uh, she would sometimes say, hey, let's cook up a meal and let's bring it over to to Helen and Pam. You see, because Helen's time was all wrapped up in just taking care of of Pam. She was in a lot of pain and some nights she would have trouble even breathing it was just a matter of days before she'd be in eternity. And so I'm thankful for a wife who, who had a heart for people. And uh, so we bring food over. And 
And we just loved on them. I didn't preach hard at her. I, I just loved, loved on them. I'll never forget one time we came, and uh, we were talking to Helen on the driveway, and all of a sudden while we were talking, we hear a crack, door crack open, and out comes Pam. And, I mean, I, I kid you not, she's maybe 70 pounds. And, and right away, Helen rushes over to, to help her because she, you know, she was so weak. She had to lean on, on Helen. And, and I'll never forget just saying, hi, hi Pam, it's, it's nice to finally meet you. I've been praying for you. And I, I cut straight to the chase. Have you ever witnessed someone who's so close to eternity? Who's so close to hell? I began to witness to her, and my wife would tell you, my hands were shaking, my voice was cracking, I've never been so nervous in my life. It gets real at that, that's that point. And uh, I witnessed to her, I, I told her how Jesus loved her, that he died for her sin, and then if she placed her faith in him, that he'd give her eternal life. Hands down, bars none. And I, I looked at her, I said, Pam, would you like to ask Christ to be your Savior tonight? She said, yes. <laughs> oh, my heart was never so joyed, and, and I uh, was able right there to lead her to the Lord. And a few months later, she was in heaven. If you look it up on Google, you can look it up tonight. Uh, they, uh, <laughs> after she was led to Christ, uh, uh, shortly before the Supreme Court changed the rulings as far as you know, Proposition 8, and so uh, gay marriage was once again legalized in, in our state. And, and because she was terminal, um, Helen and Pam were, were bumped up in the line, and they, got, they, were one of the, they were the first couple, I believe, in Southern California to, to enter into that union. I don't call it marriage, uh, but uh, you can look it up. And, but now, Pam's in heaven. Not because she got it all together, not because she even, after she was saved, uh, got it all right, but she got saved because Jesus loved her. And my friends, there's somebody that needs to see the love of Christ We've got to see clearly, like Christ did. Christ, he saw the multitudes, and he saw their need. It was for a Savior. And then he, he not only saw them, and he didn't, he didn't just point to the problem. He cared about it. He cared enough to do something about it. He cared deeply. He was moved with compassion with them. Why? Look at verse, the rest of 36. It says, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted. Oh, my friend, your neighbor who has that loud music on and having those parties and getting drunk every day and, and going from relationship to relationship. Oh, those are only symptoms of a more deep-rooted need. They're fainting spiritually, and they're trying to fill themselves up with the pleasures of this life and things that could never fulfill them, but we know the one who can give them the living water in which they'll never thirst again. My friends, we got to get back to caring deeply. Can't you see them fainting around you? Can't you see them right? Oh, as we go throughout the days, tatting themselves up, piercing themselves up, trying to get attention any way possible. Why? Because they're fainting. And they're scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. People are busy, never have people been more busy than our day scattered abroad? You know, the, the world is small with airplanes and travel and all our media and all the technology, but people are missing out on the most important thing, Jesus. We've got to see clearly like Christ did. We've got to care deeply. But I want you to see thoroughly, we've got to change our mindset. We've got to think correctly like Christ did. I want you to see verse 37. Then saith he unto his disciples, 
So Jesus is talking to his followers, the close, the close ones who are being trained by him, and he says to them this, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. He said the harvest. Now we know the harvest, are, it would be representative of those who are lost, those who are ready to be saved. And he said unto them, hey, the harvest is plenteous. You know what I've heard across this country from people, from God's people who obviously are becoming apathetic or being just comfortable with the state of our country and the state of our churches. They say, oh, it cannot be done. Oh, that's a hard place. Oh, people, they won't listen. I heard every excuse in the book. But Jesus, when he looked on the multitudes, he didn't see opposition. He saw opportunity. Oh, my friend, I'm excited to get to Inglewood. There's not too many people in my niche of the market, not too many people who are going to stand up and say, thus saith the Lord, and preach the good old King James Bible and go knock on doors and pick up bus kids and support missions. Oh, there's not too many people who are going to show compassion. Oh, they're looking for the pretty people, those who can help them get their agenda across. They're looking for those who uh, that, that fit certain criteria, but may, may I say this, church, if you support us, you must understand one thing. I'm going to go there, I'm going to preach to anyone's, to the bums, up to those and in uh, Fortune 500 companies, we are excited to go. And when Jesus was talking to his disciples, he said, hey, the harvest truly is plenteous. Well, the problem isn't a harvest. The problem is a lack of laborers. That's the problem today. There's not enough men. There's not enough women who will forsake this world this is snatched one soul from hell. The Bible is very clear. Jesus said it. For what profited a man if he gained the whole world and lose one soul? My friend, in God's economy, one soul is more valuable than this entire world. May I ask tonight, are you thinking correctly? Are you seeing things through God's economy? Are you sacrificing so that some other soul may come to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ? Or are you uh, just uh, living a life for the cares of this world? Are you living for things that will burn up, things that won't matter in eternity? Oh, my friend, it won't matter what kind of car you drove or what kind of countertops you had in your house or what neighborhood you lived in. It won't matter in eternity in just a few short years. Oh, every city we've been to, there's common things that I've seen. And you know what I've noticed in every city we've been to? In 37 states over the last 12 months, there's a graveyard. And I didn't see any cars parked in that graveyard. I didn't see any houses built next to those, those tombs. I saw people who came and lived and, and in between their lives. Uh, I don't know what they did, but I understand, oh, tomorrow isn't even promised for me. And I understand that life is, will soon be passed and only what's done for Christ will last. The disciples, they didn't get it quite yet, quite yet. Think about them. I'm not being hard on them. I'm not worthy to tie any of their shoelaces, but think about them. They would spend time arguing about who's going to sit on the right hand and who's going to sit on the left. They would spend time worrying about when Jesus was going to get the Romans out of there when he, they were all caught up in government. And I meet so many Christians today, they want to talk to me about Obama. You know, the only thing I want to ask them was, when was the last time you witnessed? When was the last time that you sacrificed so somebody could get saved? Don't talk to me about the White House. The problems, the problems in our country is not because of the White House. It's what's going on in the church house. The disciples, they weren't thinking correctly. 
The har- Jesus said unto them, he said, the harvest is plenteous, but the laborers are few. My friends, yeah, we'll get some doors slammed in our face. Yeah, we'll get some people say, I'm not interested. But maybe at that next door, <laughs> I can tell you story after story at that next door where a single mom who, who's just uh, struggling with a drug addiction and uh, where, where she came to know Christ. I can tell you story after story. And you know what? The harvest truly is plenteous today. It's even more plenteous, I believe, than it was in Christ's day. And we got to think correctly. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, the apostle Paul was pleading with a church that was in a metropolitan similar to our city, and uh, they were all wrapped up in what was going on in the doors, not the people lost outside the doors of the church. And he had to remind them of the main thing. He said, but if our gospel be hid, it is hidden to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. May May I say this, the devil is a soul winner. He's blinding. He never takes a vacation. He's perpetually, he's not omnipresent, but he's perpetually working across our world to keep people in darkness. And you know what we're supposed to be? We're supposed to be letting our light so shine before men that they may see our good works and glorify our Father in heaven. We're supposed to be salt. We're supposed to be the preservative in this generation so that people will know there is a God in heaven that loves them. We've got to change our mindset. We've got to think correctly. Jesus said to his disciples, I I love John chapter 4, one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. When Jesus made that detour, he said, I must needs go to Samaria. And he went to meet a woman who was living in an adulterous relationship. And uh, he had to uh, take that time and tell her that he was the Messiah, which she was waiting for. And, of course, we know she came to know him as Savior that day. But I love the fact that she right away went back into the city and began to tell those, hey, come see a man which told me ever which I've done. And, oh, people came out. People came to see the Messiah. And people were saved because a little woman who wasn't even accepted in the Samaritan culture was willing to tell somebody she had a right mindset and may we in the church do the same you may not know all the verses you may not have your life all together I don't know about you pastor but I have not arrived but I'm saying to you God wants to use you he wants to use you right now in the harvest maybe it's to go maybe it's a young man in here tonight who will say I'm going to set my life apart for Jesus use I'm going to be I want to be the the worker that he wants me to be I want to be a laborer in his harvest field maybe there's a young girl or maybe like my wife oh who grew up in a home where the parents were all caught up in all kinds of things and oh man uh, drug addictions and all things you can think about But she came to the point in her life where she said, I'm going to give it to Jesus and see what he can do with it. And now she's going to be a pastor's wife in Los Angeles and she's going to be reaching little boys and little girls like her. Oh, my friends, we've got to get back to thinking correctly. The harvest is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Jesus, he saw it clearly. He saw the people for what they were, an opportunity, someone who needed Christ. And 
He cared deeply. He was moved with compassion on them. He cared about them. And we too should desire to have a burden for the lost. And he also thought correctly. He said the harvest, oh, it's plenteous. That's not the problem. But the problem is the lack of laborers. But I want you to see lastly, and we're done. We've got to pray earnestly. Jesus gives his one request here. He says to his disciples, pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest, and he will send forth laborers into his harvest. Are you praying earnestly? I begin to pray when we start a deputation very specifically. I pray for more men in L.A. I believe some of these men in this room is the answer to my prayer. <laughs> I'm going to be in Pasadena, coming maybe trying to get close to pastor, see if he'll get me in a, US, a USC game or something. <laughs> I'm going to be there. I'm going to be in Glendale. There's some good shopping there. Maybe uh, he'll get in the Nestle and, and get a, a contact there so that we can get some discounts for the bus kids. Kenny, I don't know. I, I just want some, I'm just really looking for some friends in the ministry. Oh, I'm trying to get Brother Azarello to come to Hawthorne. It's a well-to-do city right next to Inglewood, but no independent Baptist church to my knowledge. And uh, my friends, we need more laborers in the harvest field cannot be enough laborers in the harvest field. We got to pray for them. I've been praying very specifically in my personal time. I've been praying that, hey, Lord, if you want my son, if you want my daughter, they're yours. Parents, remember, they're not yours. They're alone. Why don't you start praying? Say, Lord, call my son. Call my daughter. Use them. Why don't you start teaching them about the Lord now? Why don't you start Uh, putting the word of God in their heart, having that time as a family in the word, because you don't know if your son or your daughter will be in the ministry full time or would be a part of a church. Maybe they'll, uh, you know, move and get a job at the airport and be a part of my church. I don't know, my friends, but we need uh, to be praying earnestly. The Apostle Paul told Timothy, a young preacher boy, he said, I exhort thee that first of all supplications, prayer and intercessions, be, um, and giving of thanks, excuse me, be made for all men. He said, hey, Timothy, first of all, what you need to be focused on as you are there over the region involving church planning and ordaining elders is this. You need to be praying for people. Praying. We've got to get back to praying. The Bible says in James chapter 5 and verse 16, the, uh, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. You know, we get back to praying earnestly, praying with our might that God will move. He'll move. He'll move. But we won't pray until we start seeing clearly. We won't pray until we start caring deeply for those who are lost. We won't pray until we start thinking correctly about the opportunity before us. We will never pray like we should until we have those qualities that our Savior possessed. Tonight, Are these areas where you can be described? Do we have the heart like Christ for the lost? If not, we need to do business with the Lord. Time is short. Jesus is coming. And people are lost. We need to realize that he's left it to the church. He's left it to us to get the job done, and it's possible through his spirit. 